0: So I'm Matt. We're walking through the Ten Commandments as we walk through the uh, Book of Exodus, and we are uh, coming now uh, to look at the fourth commandment. I'd like to read this text and then pray that God would give us understanding. I'm in Exodus chapter twenty, verses eight through eleven. Again, if you're new to the Bible, uh, the larger numbers are called chapters, and then you find within the chapters smaller numbers called verses. And Exodus is the second book of the Bible. Uh, These words are being spoken originally uh, from a voice from a thundercloud down to the people of Israel who have been redeemed. They've been brought out of the slavery in Egypt through the work uh, of the ministry of Moses. And now God is speaking to his redeemed people what it means to walk with this God. Verse 8 says this, Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servants, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and all that is in them. But he rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Father in heaven, I pray that now as we meditate on your word and as I attempt to teach it faithfully for those who have. Uh, come together. Uh, we pray that you would bless it. Pray for those who are searching for truth, searching to know who Jesus is, that today maybe they would find a uh, hope in Jesus. Those who have been walking with the Lord Jesus for many years, Lord, I pray that your word would fall on fresh ears, open to what you would have to say to individuals and to your church. We ask this in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. I have an illness, and I've had it for a long time, it's what what a pastor in California calls hurry sickness, hurry sickness, and when you have this illness, you spend your whole day, every day, every week, in a hurry. And some of the symptoms of my own version that I've been looking at this week is I rarely will drive from here to there, and it rarely takes longer than five minutes because I don't live far from where I work, and I don't drive far from where I work, and yet I listen to a a podcast in every one of those five-minute segments. Like many of you, I'll put in a 50- to 60-hour work week, And then spend my weekends and flag football fields or running to another activity, sneaking in a TV show or movie in the side. And in my free time, I work on house projects. Hurry sickness is pretty deadly. And like every single sermon working through the Ten Commandments, this commandment has struck me again on how far sh- fall, how far short we fall to what God's best is in a way that would both be honoring Him and humanizing for us. Because I think the fundamental problem of hurry sickness is human pride. We de- deny our finitude. I'll be fine. I don't need a day off. I don't need a day unto the Lord. Or, Or there's this It's the rat race. It's the, can I outdo you? Can I work more than you? It's interesting that when people gather and they ask how the other person is doing, no one says fine anymore. They use a different four-letter word. They say busy. (laughs) How are you? I'm busy. And on one hand, you talk about your busyness as a, a measuring stick of how important you are because of all the busy things you have to do, and at the same time you're complaining. Look at me, I'm important, but I hate all these things that have made me important in your eyes. That's hurry sickness. That's human pride. Years ago, uh, the late Presbyterian pastor, Eugene Peterson, uh, wrote this about the tenth command or the fourth commandment, I think he hits the nail on the head. He says, Nothing less than a command has the power to intervene in the vicious, accelerating, self-perpetuating cycle of faithless and graceless busyness. Nothing less than the command has the power to intervene in the vicious, accelerating self-perpetuating cycle of faithless and graceless busyness. The fourth commandment. We're going to look at this as uh, both kind of, I want to kind of build uh, build uh, build on three ideas tied together. First, I just want to look at the theology behind Sabbath keeping. Then a rationale for why we should keep a Sabbath. And then The third section, which I think is the most kind of challenging section, is like, what is the practice of keeping Sabbath? What would it look like for those who profess Jesus and walk with him? So let's talk about the theology. Now the word theology, if you were to look it up in a dictionary, it would talk about uh, teaching or principles as they are related to God. But I appreciate a definition written by William Perkins a couple hundred years ago when he was a professor at Cambridge, when he defined theology as the science of living blessedly forever. Theology. The science of living blessedly forever. And within this science of living blessedly forever, we can learn about keeping the Sabbath. I think the driving theological idea in Sabbath keeping is humanity needs God's rest. We need God's rest. The term Sabbath is a Hebrew word and it has to do with the idea of ceasing from work. Stopping. Just last night, my wife and I are reading Fahrenheit 451. Is that what it's titled? Fahrenheit 451. We're reading this book by Ray Bradbury from the middle of the 20th century. And one of the ideas just in the chapter we reading is just how people need leisure and the whole concept of leisure was just a moment to stop to think to to ponder what had happened the five minutes before or the five days before and and contemplate on what do those things have to do with my life today and so the sabbath says cease but the importance of the sabbath and this idea of rest is so important. It was embedded in creation. Did you catch what verse 11 of chapter 20, Exodus 20 said? It says, verse 11 says, For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, made the universe, what is visible and invisible, the sea and all that is in them. But God rested on the seventh day. And therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it Holy. Now, you guys guys know this. God didn't rest on the Sabbath day because he was tired. The God who has life and power within himself, he does not need a day off. But he conveys the kind of God that he is, he conveys truth for who we are by resting. Living blessedly forever is directly tied to this day of rest because it's an invitation to enter into God's Sabbath. I invite you this week to spend some time on your own, meditate on uh, the book of Hebrews, the New Testament book of Hebrews, chapter 3 and 4. But in there, you will see that the writer speaks often of this idea of God's seventh day rest the idea that God ceased from his labors and it's this invitation to enter into this day of resting with God. And this day when you actually rest with God will end up going on forever. Right? day with God is like a thousand years. But the idea of entering into God's rest, it's entering into a relationship with the kind of God who rests. And let's play this out a little bit more. First, uh, turn if you have a Bible to Deuteronomy chapter 5. The theology of God's rest is, uh, it it, it builds throughout Scripture. So in Deuteronomy chapter 5, you actually have the the second reading of the Ten Commandments. And what's interesting is when you get to the commandment on the Sabbath in verse 12 of the book of Deuteronomy, it sounds very similar to the Sabbath command in Exodus chapter 20, and yet there's some slight differences. So Deuteronomy chapter 5, beginning in verse 12, we read this, Observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy, as the Lord your God has commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you, nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your ox, your donkey, or any of your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns, so that your male and female servants may rest as you do. Verse 15, remember, this is the unique difference, remember that you were slaves in Egypt and that the the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God has commanded you to observe the Sabbath day. So back in Exodus 20, verse 11, why should you rest? Because God created the universe and he rested. So you take a day and remember the God who creates. Remember this God of all power. Remember this God who gives you life and breath and everything else. But in Deuteronomy chapter 5, why should you rest? Rest so that you can remember God as Redeemer. The God who takes humans out of the bondage and the slavery and the forced work of oppressive masters. Don't work one day so that you can know that your master is a deliverer, not a slave driver. For your master is the Lord God who brought you out of Egypt. This is the God that we are to worship. Now, One of the sad commentaries on humanity or sad commentaries on the Israelites that's recorded in the Old Testament is they rejected this God who had invited them to rest. They didn't trust him. So like when the writer in Hebrews chapter 3 and 4 is meditating on this idea of rest, is God had promised to give the Israelites the promised land as a land of rest, a land from their God who had redeemed them. But they would not enter that land. They didn't believe God. They didn't trust that he could deliver. And so he brought consequences on them. And they spent 40 extra years in the wilderness. When they eventually do come into the land that God had given them, they reject the Sabbath. They actually don't rest. They put off festivals. They put off the times where they're supposed to let the land rest. They reject God and his ways. They re- Think about this. They refuse to rest before the true Lord and God, and instead they work and follow false gods. This God says, rest, trust me. And they're like, no thank you. We're going to work for the false gods and the idols. And eventually God says he actually comes in to the Israelites, through the Assyrians in 722 B.C., later the Babylonians in 586 B.C. Why? Because they had desecrated His Sabbaths. They hadn't followed this God-extending rest. And so when Jesus of Nazareth comes on the scene, and when Jesus is ministering, he makes a very bold proclamation recorded in Matthew chapter 11:28. He says, "Come to me all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest." And if you have Jewish ears, you recognize the audacity of that claim. Right? It's the Lord God who created heaven and earth who gives you rest. It's the Lord God who delivered people out of the bondage of Egypt who gives rest. And Jesus says, come to me, and I will give you rest. Rest for your souls. How does he do this? Now, we as Christians, this is what we profess Sunday after Sunday. How did Jesus ultimately give people rest? He came and he lived and he died for his people. For all of the dishonor of Sabbaths and other commands, Christ dies in our place on the cross for our sins. And then when he resurrects from the dead three days later, that's God's vindication of this is the Son who can actually give you rest. Believe in him. Trust in him. This is why later when the Apostle Paul is reflecting on what does it mean to know this God, Lord, it is by grace you have been saved, through faith, not of your works, right? To come to know God is to come in to a God who gives us rest for our souls without our works, and we trust in him. And the good news of Christianity is that anyone who believes can have this rest, can enter into this rest. You can't work for it. That's the very contradiction of rest, For salvation is a gift. It's received. God saves us freely at the great expense of his Son. Our rest comes from Jesus. The true Sabbath rest. Only through Jesus. And humanity, fellow humans, we need this rest. That's the biblical theology behind rest. We have a God who at creation is offering rest. We have a God who when he redeemed Israel is offering rest. And then... The fulfillment of rest is God giving us his son, Jesus, in order that we might have rest. This is a God who gives, and we honor him by receiving. We get the grace so that he gets the glory. Now, built on this theology now is then this rationale. Like, why then would I keep the Sabbath? Why would I set apart a day, one out of seven days, unto the Lord, because you would think, think about this, if God has done so much for you, this is how sometimes people even talk about God. if God has done so much for you, shouldn't you get to work to honor him? I had this godly professor at Denver Seminary, uh, and I went up to him one day and he was talking on rest and you know, and I just like, you know, Bruce, he's a nice guy, you can call him by his first name. Like, I just don't get this. Like Satan is active in the world, and he, he's, he's busy. He's this prowling lion. He's seeking to destroy. How can we just sit back and, and wait and rest? And he, he just stopped me and goes, you know, Matt, I've tried not to build my ministry philosophy on Satan. He might be busy, but God calls you to rest because <laughs> he... The God of peace will soon crush Satan underneath your feet. Not Matt. Rest. So one of the, kind of the build a rationale for Sabbath then is to know this God of rest, he invites you to rest. Like, do you want to know him? Do you want to admire him? Do you want to believe in him? Do you want to recognize him? Rest. Let me hear, hear the commandment again. You're to, we are to remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days we labor and do our work. Which, by the way, that's God's commendation for us to work. It is God's people work. Six long, hard, faithful days. But the seventh day, verse 10, is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. And on that day you shall do not do any work. Neither you, nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. For for in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them. But he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. So the Sabbath day is a day dedicated to the Lord for us because of the sort of God God is. We've already built some of this, but let, let's think a little bit more. Again, into the fabric of creation, embedded into the seven day week is a day for rest. And one of the ideas that blew me away about ten years ago, when I was a busy I was twelve years ago, I was a busy youth pastor that wouldn't ever take a day off. And this it just blew my mind. God creates humanity on the sixth day. And that's the end, and God marvels. Do you know what humanity had to do on the first day? Not go to work, take a Sabbath. Because we are human beings, not human doings. We are made to be in a relationship with God. If you read in Acts chapter 17, when Paul goes to Athens, and he sees all these idols in Athens, all these false gods, and it says it grieves his heart. He turns to the Athenians in the first century and he says, I want to talk to you about the real God. He, he's not served by human hands as if he needs anything. Our God is not some sort of bloodthirsty pagan God demanding us to, to, to prove our loyalty by slashing our arms and bleeding or bringing libations to his feet. He's, he doesn't lack anything. He is the giver of all gifts. He's fully sufficient in himself. He's desirous of displaying his glory. Humans receive. Jonathan Edwards, the 18th century pastor here in America, speaks of the Sabbath this way. He says, as princes give gifts on their birthdays and on their marriage days and the like, so God was wont to dispense gifts on the Sabbath day. He is this mighty king. He has this vast treasury. And to display the kind of God that he is, he gives the gift of Sabbath for us to rest. Edwards goes on to say this, But how much more reason has Christ to bless the day of his resurrection and delight to honor it and to confer his grace and blessed gifts on his people on this day? And what Edwards is doing there, he's talking about that as Christians who have trusted in Jesus Christ based on his death and resurrection, we've transferred. We've we've said, no, no, no. The day that we're going to set apart as holy is no longer Saturday, but Sunday, which is called the Lord's Day. Why is it called the Lord's Day? Because it's the day the Lord resurrected from the dead. It's also the day when the Holy Spirit came down on Pentecost, was on the Lord's Day. And you see, even in the early parts of the New Testament, the Christians we're wanting to gather and to worship and set apart Sunday, the Lord's Day, as a day like no other. We read in Acts 20, verse 7. On the first day of the week, we came together to break bread. And Paul spoke to the people, and because he intended to leave the next day, he kept on talking until midnight. Preachers love that verse. Right? But they gathered on the Lord's Day. And the preacher could talk as long as he wanted. No, But it's the Lord's day. They gathered. And then also Paul instructs in 1 Corinthians 16.1, he says "He says now about the collection for the Lord's people. He's talking about when we gather to take an offering, when we, we, we give gifts. This is a very important part of a Jewish person's ministry under the Lord was almsgiving and giving gifts, normally done previously on Saturday. But he teaches in 1 Corinthians 16... Do what I told the Galatian churches to do on the first day of every week. Each one should set aside a sum of money in keeping with your income, saving it up so that when I come, no collections will have to be made. So again, the original Sabbath focused on creation, and it focused on the redemption of Israel. But now the Christian Sabbath, the Lord's Day, why do we gather? We remember the creation of the church at Pentecost and the Lord's resurrection on a Sunday. And so if we know this God of rest, we'll honor the command of God and rest one day out of each seven. But now we've got to get into the sticky stuff, I think. How do you practice this? I feel like throughout 2,000 years of Christianity, there has been a big debate on how does this command relate to a Christian's life? Let's just start with this. There are two very important New Testament passages that t- tell us uh, how not to keep this commandment. One is in the book of Colossians. The other is in Galatians. Colossians two sixteen and seventeen. This is imp- this is so important. Colossians two sixteen says, "Therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat." or drink, or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day. These are a a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. So what was happening then, and I think what happens today, is we love to judge one another on how they celebrate the Sabbath. Or not. And so I'm more spiritual than you because I go to Church, Sunday school. Then I listen to, you know, John MacArthur in the afternoon, and listen to YouTube videos uh, of Christian music the rest of the night. That makes me more spiritual than you because you only went to church. Or there's segments in Christianity where I'm keeping the Sabbath correctly because I do it on Saturday, and Paul flies in and says, "Wait a minute, this is a shadow." When we, when we celebrate a Sabbath day, it's a shadow. What's the reality? The reality is who Christ is, and to worship him, and to honor him. Another warning in Galatians chapter 4, this is so important, if we're going to honor God. Verse 9 says, But now that you know God, or rather are known by God, he says, How is it that you are turning back to those weak and miserable forces? He's talking about returning to the living under the old covenant. He says, do you wish to be enslaved by them all over again? You are observing special days and months and seasons and years. I fear that somehow I have wasted my efforts on you. If we start uh, honoring the Sabbath as a way to like make sure that we don't lose our salvation or the, a way to uh, one-up someone else spiritually, Paul would speak from the grave, I think I've wasted my efforts on you. So based on these verses, let me front what we're going to talk about related to Sabbath keeping with this warning. The Sabbath is not about doing all the right things all the right way. It's not about some sort of legalistic preciseness. Because remember, <laughs> the Sabbath is about not doing. It's about not working. It's about receiving. Some of the best instructions I've ever heard on keeping the Sabbath is it should be a day for playing and praying. Playing because we have a creator God who gives gifts. And so we enjoy the giver of all good gifts. And then we pray because he is our redeemer and he is our Lord. Still, God commands us to remember him. It's based in creation. It celebrates Christ's redemption. So let's talk about this. When it says to remember the Sabbath day, it talks about memorializing it, that is making it significant. What does it mean to make something significant or to make it a day of, repen- of remembrance? Well, let me tell you about my relatives who live in Norfolk, Virginia. So the patriarch of my family in Virginia is uh, my uncle named Larry, who retired after 24 years in the Navy as a captain. And Larry wanted everyone in their family to know military history and to celebrate the sacrifices of U.S. soldiers. And so to do this, Larry created various memorial celebrations to ensure key dates and their significance were never forgotten. For example, every June 6th, they would review the events of June 6th, 1944, which is D-Day, the storming of Normandy. And so to do that, they they would, what happened historically, what happened on this day, and then they would eat a meal based on what the soldiers may have eaten when the, 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 bay, the day of the battle had drawn to its end. And so they would eat a Spam omelet with mushrooms and cheese, asparagus and French wine, to remember D-Day. To commemorate the Doolittle Raid on April 18, 1942, the family, they remember the pilots as they prepared to fly off the carrier. Then they would consume a pre-flight meal such as steak, vanilla ice cream, frozen strawberries, and peanut butter cookies. Some years, they add the movie accompaniment of 30 Seconds Over Tokyo. Now, by far, their greatest celebration is now falls annually on August 7th. So not only is this the birth of one of my cousins, but it's also Guadalcanal Day. On this day in 1942, the Allied forces engaged in their first major offensive against the Empire of Japan. How many people celebrate Guadalcanal Day every year? (laughs) Well, for my relatives, this has now become the most significant memorial. They gather at my uncle Larry's graveside. He's buried in Arlington National Cemetery. To cap off the day, they eat a meal the Marines may have found in the Pacific Theater. Fish, sticky rice, sake, and Japanese beer. And because of Cousin Isaac, they usually sneak in some birthday cake. Now, these regular celebrations have burned into the hearts and souls of my family members that our country's freedoms have come at great cost. They honor the past, and they celebrate the gifts of the present. Friends, I believe that that's what it means to celebrate the Sabbath day as Christians. We're to remember that our freedom has come at a great cost. We honor Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, knowing that every freedom, joy, and blessing comes from him. And so we want to keep this day. We want it to be a holy day. We want it to be a remembered day. So again, with the initial warning, of not letting this become something about legalistic, get the right day the right way, I want to give you five principles. And these are five principles for keeping the Sabbath. And I'm stealing these five word for word from the 1738 sermon from Jonathan Edwards entitled, The Perpetuity and Change of the Sabbath. Here are the five. I'll read all five, then we'll come back through and talk about them. Number one, we ought to be exceedingly careful on this day to abstain from sin. Two, we ought to be careful to abstain from all worldly affairs. Three, we ought to spend time in religious exercises. Four, we, ought, we are this day especially to meditate upon and celebrate the work of redemption. And five, works of mercy and charity are very proper and acceptable to Christ on this day. The first one, we ought to be exceedingly careful on this day to abstain from sin. Now the logic works this way. It is wrong every day to speak rudely to your mother it's extremely wrong to do it on Mother's Day. It's even more insulting. In much the same way, it's wrong to, to mock or be cruel to someone any day of the week, but if you do it on their birthday or during their funeral, it's a jab that's very remembered. And to say that this is the Lord's Day, a day set apart for Him, Jonathan Edwards would say, what does it take for us to our minds to be even more conscious?" to walking in faithful, loving obedience to God on this day. We ought to be exceedingly careful on this day to abstain from sin. Two, we ought to be careful to abstain from all worldly affairs. Now, many of you have the opportunity to set apart Sunday or the Lord's Day to be here. That's probably why you're here. Some of you, like me, have to work on Sundays. Some of you are caretakers of either little ones or maybe you're caring for aging parents or grandparents, and there's no such thing as a workless Sabbath. Like there's, It's not that you check out. But, but the invitation, though, as heard at multiple times in this commandment, is can you set aside from work? Can you lay your labors down and say, on this day, Lord, I'm not going to try to prove myself. I'm not going to try to get a little ahead. I'm not going to try to hold my life together and keep the universe of my life spinning. I am going to give you this day because you are sovereign and you are good. I'm giving God the world on the Sabbath because he can hold it together. He is good. When Isaiah the prophet was speaking to the Israelites 8th century uh, B.C., He said this in Isaiah 58, verses 13 and 14. He says, if you keep your feet from breaking the Sabbath and from doing as you please on my holy day, if you call the Sabbath a delight and the Lord's holy day honorable, and if you honor it by not going your own way and not doing as you please or speaking idle words, then you will find your joy in the Lord. I will cause you to ride in triumph on the heights of the land and to feast on the inheritance of your father Jacob, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. So in preparing for this sermon series, my wife and I and our family, like we talked about that we had kind of lost Sabbath. It was kind of, I'd take part of the day, a different day than my family would. And so when my family was engaged in stuff and I wasn't, I felt obligated to work. And then the days when they were supposed to be resting, and I was working, they could, and so we started, we, we started last weekend. We're going we're gonna to Sabbath. We're going to get back to honoring the Lord this way. And at 2 o'clock in the afternoon, ours goes till about 3, I saw a window of opportunity to do a little bit of mudding in a room I'm fixing up. And my kids had to come up and rebuke me, right? Do you really need to labor that extra hour? Do I have to? No. We set apart this day as an act of worship and honor to the Lord God. But we misuse the Lord's day when we're focused on our labors, our needs. So too when we, we give the day just to our amusements and entertainments. I don't think, that I think the Puritans who are um, these English Christians in the 16th, 16th 17th century, they, they basically got to the point where you couldn't have any fun at all. I don't think that's true. I think Sabbath is a day to receive gifts with gladness, but it shouldn't be a day for all amusement. One of the litmus tests I'm trying to uh, put on my own life on the Sabbath is do, do, do the people who watch me during the week notice that this day is different than all the other days? That they know that this isn't Matt's day, that this is the Lord's day. One of the other convicting things in here is in Exodus 20 and Deuteronomy 5. It's supposed to be a day you release other people from work. Your slaves shouldn't have to work. Your children shouldn't have to work. Your beasts shouldn't have to work. So what does it look like to release our spouses and our kids? And Again, this might not be popular, but for the sake of our souls and the honor of our God, what would it look like for that to be true in your life? Pastor Phil Rikens said this, in order to preserve a day of worship and rest, we need to bar the gates against the clamor of our culture. This is not an easy thing to honor. I'm guessing most of you are pushing back throughout this sermon. Well, but the clamor of our culture is different than the word of the Lord. I want to look at the next two principles together. So Edwards says we ought to spend time in religious exercises. And four, he said, we are this day especially to meditate upon this and celebrate the work of redemption. So again, we want to avoid some sort of legalistic process and yet we do want to be responsive to obey the commands that are in Scripture. And so we know that God says, let us not give up meeting together as some have done, but to gather. So on the Lord's day, we gather to worship. It talks about to not neglect the public reading and teaching of Scripture. And so we want to obey the Lord in doing that as a church and receiving that as a church. We take the Lord's Supper as commanded. We offer prayer. In our church, we pray before the service at 840. We try to pray during the service. There's prayer opportunities after the service. And once a month, we gather as a church family to pray again. All of these things are to say, this is the Lord's day. Let me invite you to to not let the Sabbath just be about what your corporate church family does, I, this is the thing that's so fun in our family, and I invite for yours. What does it look like for you to sit down with your family if you're married or single or you have kids? Let's say, how will we make this the Lord's day? Some examples I know of that people do. You know, this is outside of corporate worship, but what could you do in your home? I know some people who love to just to go on a walk on Sunday, just marvel at creation. Say, isn't God amazing? Look at that tree, look at that sunset. I know some people on the Lord's Day, they have a special meal that they set, us, set apart to thank God for his blessings in the past week, and sometimes they invite other Christians to come in to make it special, or they invite other people who don't know God and invite them to say, hey, this is a special day for us. Would you come and join a meal with us, or let's go out to eat together? I know some Christians who gather to sing Christian hymns or songs together, sometimes with a piano or guitar, or some people use YouTube, or they ask Alexa to play songs over their Amazon Echo Dot. One of the things that's been common throughout history is to set aside special hours on the Sabbath for reading God's word or rich literature. To say this is the Lord's day. These are the Lord's precious hours. We ought to spend time in religious exercises. We, all, we are this day especially to meditate upon and celebrate the work of redemption. And then five, which is a, Edward's fifth principle, is this. Works of mercy and charity are very proper And acceptable to christ on this day this is the ministry of jesus healing on the sabbath forgiving sins on the sabbath meeting people's needs on the sabbath and so again many of you do this here corporately when you care for kids in the nursery and and children's church and those of you commit to teach sunday school i know that's work but these acts of mercy and charity are acceptable to the lord some of you have participated in mission of the Hope and, and ministries like uh, celebrate recovery and you're serving on the on the lord's day or you're welcoming in a, 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 someone who's not normally with a family on the lord's day God is pleased when his when you extend rest on his day of rest so uh, some of you are familiar with a somewhat wealthy man named Bill Gates he's a professed agnostic this is what he said about the Sabbath. He said, just in terms of allocation of time, resources, religion is not very efficient. There's a lot more I could be doing on a Sunday morning. I think Bill is right. There are more things that could be done on the Lord's day. I just wonder if those are the right things. Because hurry sickness kills many people. But the Lord is honored when we come to him for rest. Let's pray. Father, I pray for my friends here today who I'm guessing suffer from hurry sickness like me. And I would just pray, God, that in your mercy... Lord, we would uh, come to Jesus for rest. He's the one who gives rest. He's the only one who can give rest. And I pray that the way that we honor the God who gives rest is we would figure out a way to honor this day. And there's freedom in this. I love that. We get freedom to use our godly imagination on how to rest as a family and to do things that bring delight to our hearts and honor to the Creator. Uh, But I do pray that the Lord's day would be your day, not Matt's day or Geraldine's day, but the Lord's day. And I pray that you, in your mercy, by your grace, you'd bless whenever we gather on the Lord's day, that you would be honored, that you would receive much glory, that we would receive much grace. Lord Jesus, I pray for my brothers and sisters who are struggling right now with hurry and anxiety. Lord, would you give them rest for your souls? Amen.